There's chocolate on this podium here. Yum. <laughs> when I have the opportunity to preach, I usually focus on a Bible character and what we can learn from their life, or focus on a miracle Jesus performed to encourage us to believe that he still works miracles today. But at the moment, we're in the middle of a series where the topic is the parables that Jesus taught. They're all simple stories that the people of biblical times would have identified with and therefore understood the spiritual lesson. Mark 4.34 tells us that Jesus did not say anything to them without using a parable. Since my son Andrew has just moved to Marlborough to work in a vineyard, the topic just had to be the parable of the workers in the vineyard. So our reading today is from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. Matthew 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who went out early in the morning to hire labourers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the labourers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the labourers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the householder, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. As we've just read, this parable is the story of a landowner who hires five groups of labourers throughout the course of the day. Early in the morning, he hires some men by offering them one denarius, a generous day's pay for a work in the vineyard. At about 9am, he offers to pay another group of workers whatever is right. Notice that it's a promise of payment with no specific promise regarding the amount. At about noon, he hires more men with no mention of payment at all. When 3pm, coffee time, comes round, 
he hires another group, again with no mention of payment. And finally, at about 5 p.m., he asks a group of men, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Their reply, because no one has hired us. So the landowner says, you go and work in my vineyard. That is another offer of work with no mention of payment. Whatever happened to documents and contracts and signed paperwork? However, despite the verbal different arrangements, all five groups of workers went off to work in the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers first and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired up to the first. The workers who were hired at about 5pm came and each received a denarius, a whole day's pay. So when those came who were hired first, they naturally expected to receive more, much more. But remember that one denarius was the agreed amount of pay for those workers when they were hired at the crack of dawn. When the workday was over, all the workers received the same amount of money. It's no surprise at all that those who were hired at the beginning of the day were angered that those who were hired later in the day still received a full day's pay. So they did what's natural. They grumbled and complained to the landowner. These last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Do you realise that if the foreman had simply paid the early labourers first and sent them away, he would not have had this problem. The early shift workers would have been satisfied with the agreed weight day of pay, the rate of pay, and they would not have seen what the others received. Direct credit would have been another option, but I don't think they had that facility set up. He wouldn't have used it anyway, because the landlord wanted them all to see his generosity. When those early workers saw the foreman handing out the standard payment to the late workers, they would have assumed that they were going to receive so much more than the landowner originally promised them. So they were utterly astounded when they received the same pay as everyone else. Naturally, anger began to rear its ugly head at the injustice of it all. I can imagine they were shouting, it's not fair. But the landowner does not think that it is unfair. He reminds them that they had been paid the amount they agreed on. He hadn't shortchanged them. He had just been extremely generous to the workers who worked a lot less hours. This reply did nothing to reduce the outrage that the early workers felt. This is exactly a situation which would have been understood by the Jews hearing the story. They knew that they were God's chosen people. They had been waiting and watching for years for the Messiah to come and re-establish their kingdom. They were like the workers hired early in the morning, 
part of God's plan from the beginning. But now this grace and favour was being extended to the Gentiles. The Jews probably didn't mind blessings being extended to other nations, as long as they were still valued above every other nation. It was inconceivable to think that Gentiles would ever be considered equal to Jews. In this parable, Jesus wanted the people to understand the resentment which had come when the Gentiles were promised the same rewards as Jews. God's kingdom had been extended to include people from every nation. Jesus tried to clarify the misunderstanding. The Jews had always known that they were God's chosen people and that blessings and a rich inheritance were guaranteed by God. But they had conveniently forgotten that right back in Abraham's time, God had promised Abraham, the father of the Jewish race, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through his offspring. It's in Genesis 22:18. Oh yes, the Israelites did know that promise, but they never really believed that any other nation would be blessed to the same degree. God has never had any intention of taking anything away from his promises to the Jews. It's simply that he later extended the promise of those same blessings to non-Jewish people. Do the Jews feel cheated? Do they think it's unfair? They do if they believe they deserve more than other nations. But if they look solely at the generosity of God, they can understand that they still receive all the blessings he has promised them. But it's a huge step further for the Jews to rejoice that others are also the recipients of God's generosity. I'm not a New Zealand citizen by birth, so I don't have the same rights and privileges that those of you who were born in this country enjoy. In fact, I once had a major problem with immigration. I went to Sydney for a week. It was many years ago and I took my young daughter with me. She had a New Zealand passport and I had a British passport. We had a lovely time with our extended family. When we went to the airport to come home, it was a very early flight. So we were at the airport at 6am on a Sunday morning to check in. And that was when they told me that I was not allowed on the flight because although my passport was valid for four more years, the re-entry permit had just expired. It could only be issued in New Zealand, and of course, I was in Sydney, and the immigration department was closed in the weekend. Without the proper paperwork, the airline would be fined $20,000 if they let me on the plane, and then I would be deported back to England. I hadn't lived there at that time for over 30 years. I asked why they'd let me leave New Zealand without telling me 
because then I could have got it sorted out before my return. The answer was that it's no problem when you leave, only if you try to return. I told them I actually was a New Zealand citizen. I even had a certificate back home in a drawer somewhere. But unbelievably, if you choose to leave New Zealand on a different passport, you forfeit your rights as a New Zealand citizen. I explained that I was married to a New Zealander and that I had two other children back at home. But again, that didn't matter to the woman refusing to process my boarding pass. It seemed I was destined to be stuck in Australia. Another staff member was a bit more compassionate. He saw that I wouldn't let my daughter fly without me, even though she was allowed on the flight. So he believed my story and offered to give me a chance. He said he would call my husband to see if he confirmed my story. I didn't have a credit card on me, but if Brian was prepared to pay for an ongoing flight from New Zealand to any other Commonwealth country, I could land temporarily as a visitor to New Zealand. This would give me the chance to sort out the paperwork with the Immigration Department, get a re-entry permit issued, and be allowed to continue to live in New Zealand. It seemed like a brilliant plan. The only problem was my most suspicious husband. He didn't really believe that I was being detained over there, and he sure didn't like giving out his credit card details to a complete stranger. However, he eventually complied and bought me a one-way ticket from New Zealand to Fiji. I'm not sure how that was going to help, but never mind, he did. And with that in my hand, we were able to board the flight to New Zealand with minutes to spare. When we arrived in New Zealand, I got a big grilling from the immigration department, as they weren't best pleased to find that there was a loophole in their system in being able to travel without the correct paperwork. Only after someone else on my flight diverted their attention by trying to bring drugs into the country did they very reluctantly grant me a visitor visa for three days. Of course, I did actually live and work here, so I was able to get the paperwork sorted the next day. It turned out that the British Embassy had made a mistake on the original passport. The original re-entry permit was meant to be for the length of the passport, but they'd actually accidentally cut it short by four years, which is why I'd never had a problem with it in travelling over the previous six years. You'll be glad to know I now travel on a New Zealand passport everywhere I go. Not that I can travel anywhere at the moment. <laughs> but this all makes me wonder about how tricky it might be to get into heaven. Will we need the right paperwork? Will we have any rights as a citizen? Will any of our good deeds on earth count for anything? Will anyone go out of their way to help us? Are there any loopholes in the system? 
The Bible tells us that the only criteria is that we believe that Jesus is God's son and he has promised us an eternal home with him. Faith is all we need. Are we any different to the early workers in the vineyard? For those who have served God faithfully for many years and avoided the greater temptations and consequences of a sinful lifestyle, can they rejoice that others who receive the Lord later in life, possibly even on their deathbed, will receive the same blessings? Is that fair? As this parable reminds us, we need to focus solely on the generosity of God. We need to rejoice that God asks any of us to be labourers in his vineyard. Whether we work all day in the blazing heat or work just for the last part of the day, we can trust God that he will keep his promises to us and to reward us faithfully. Just don't keep hanging around in the marketplace. Get employed in the vineyard. And don't ask for a contract in writing. Take God at his word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you ask any of us to help work in your vineyard and faithfully share the good news with others. We pray for those who don't yet know you. We pray that they will sense that you have a call on their life. And for those who've worked faithfully for many years, we can trust you that you'll provide a faithful reward for them. Thank you for all your blessings to us. Amen. We have King James Bible, the song's from Psalm 25. It only works with that Bible, the main one. <laughs>
Thanks, you guys. For those of you who were alive in 1979, you might remember it was quite a tumultuous year. The um, American embassy in Tehran was taken over by Islamic extremists who held a couple hundred people hostage for a very long time. Russia just invaded Afghanistan. Margaret Thatcher had been elected Prime Minister of England. There was a lot happening. In my life, it was an awful time. I'd just gone off to boarding school. But something quite profound happened in Israel on an archaeological dig. They found a silver amulet, and that amulet had some carving, carved figures in it. And when they translated it and dated it, they found that it dated from about 650 BC. So this is before the Jewish people were exiled to Babylon. And it said this when they translated it. And it's the benediction for today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Have a good week.